Hello and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. I'm your host, Ashley, and uh, joining me on the other end of the line is Chris. Chris, how are you doing? Hello, Ashley. I am doing wonderful, but I cannot walk, which is shitty. <laughs> yeah, so give us a quick lowdown on that. What what happened? You, I can see you, and uh, you're holding the mic so close <laughs> to your mouth. It's, it's like you're consuming it, but you have to because you've got crutches in your other hand. Yeah, um, so I missed the curb, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> and then suddenly a hot wire went through my right leg, and now I'm, well... Chair bound. Is that the right word? Yeah, I guess. But um, I, so they think it might just be a serious sprain, right? We were talking about this earlier, but it we, might just, you might have got lucky. Yeah, I might have got lucky, but we'll know. You will hear about that in the next episode of BPM <laughs> yeah. Pot. We'll talk Stay about it. <laughs> yeah, to be continued. We need a cliffhanger bit. Yeah, cool. <laughs> So what's coming up on this week's show? We're going to be reviewing some songs from the BPM Pod playlist. And they're the ones we pick at random from guests that have been on here before and people that are going to be on here in the future. And this week we're going to be featuring a song from Promise and a new single from Molly's Peck. We will also be talking about what we have been listening to in our spare time, which can be anything from albums to EPs to old cassette tapes we found in our basements. I wish I had a basement still, but otherwise I take <laughs> your point. Uh, we're then going to be doing a new feature this week, something that, uh, that Chris came up with a few weeks ago, where we're going to be talking finally about computer game soundtracks. And this week we turn to Daniel Lick's soundtrack, Licht even, uh, sorry, um, for the Dishonored game series. Also, our guest of choice this week is the wonderful Natasha Jeffe, uh, who is a classical trained cellist, right? Yeah, she is. And uh, she does a lot of work with singer-songwriters as well. She doesn't just play classical music. So she's pretty uh, pretty interesting to talk to because uh, you, you really nerd out about effects as well at one point. Yeah, and she knows more about music, like really musical reading uh, than we do both combined. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> and then we'll finish off with the Desert Island playlist and submitting a couple of songs to that and that will be where we wrap up and say goodbye and everyone else can go off and enjoy themselves and uh, stop listening to our witterings. Um, so, last time we talked about um, some music we've been listening to. And one of the things that I mentioned we were listening to, or what that I was listening to, was a band called Manchester Orchestra. And uh, I really, really like them. And at the time I was pleased with their album, but not overwhelmed. And now this week I'm overwhelmed with the other half of the album that I didn't like last time. Right. And and it got me thinking about something. And that is, um, has there ever been... Because there are some albums I just like and don't like. And of course they like grow on you and change over time. But the second half of this album I really didn't like. Like at all. I was kind of like, oh, this is a bit naff. It's a bit Mumford and Sonsy. And now this week I actually don't like the first side very much. And the second side is really there and so it's kind of brought a whole new listening experience entirely is there any album or like song or anything that you listened to for such a long time and you thought this is just rubbish and then one day you're like actually this isn't that bad well 
it that usually happens to me, which ties in to our to give a little spoiler uh, what we've been listening to segment with everything Twenty One Pilots puts out. <laughs> I always don't like it at first, and after three to four like runs of the album, I fall in love with it usually. But yeah, um, other than that, I just grow tired of albums when I listen too much to them. Like mm. one of my uh, some of my favorite albums or long players i cannot listen to because it gets worse every time and i don't want to like soil the good memories i have <laughs> of that particular album so i keep mm. it there in a box in my memory and sometimes i think about them and <laughs> most of the times i do not but what have you been listening to? Let's jump into that. Let's mess up our order already then, as you've okay, already cool. started talking about it. Um, I guess it's 21 crazy. Pilots. <laughs> yeah, we're crazy. <laughs> going loco. You're mad, um, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're you're I've reading been, another sorry. part of the script. What? Like nuts. <laughs> um, 21 Pilots, I, I guess what you've been listening to then, if that's what, what you just mentioned there. Yeah, I talk about uh, I talk about them a lot, I think. Um I think two to three episodes ago, I reviewed, well, reviewed, we spoke about the first single from the Scaled and Icy album, which was Shy Away. And mm. the album came, the full album came out a couple of weeks ago, and I finally bought it because you should mm. buy CDs, everyone mm. out there, sure. <laughs> if you want to support an artist. Um, and yeah, it's mediocre, I think, the album. Okay. Shy Away is for me the absolute winner of the whole album. It's awesome, and there are other other fun tracks like uh, Choker and Saturday, but like the like the rest is to me it sounds so. And there are a lot of reviews out there who say like the whole album is just so unfocused because they okay. do they are a very lore heavy band. All their like uh, I think two to three previous albums all had this overarching storyline behind it. Mm. Uh, the 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 singer Tyler I think is his name he created mm -hmm. this alter ego persona oh, uh, wow. who, who's called Casey and it like the whole thing is like uh, mental issues projected into a person who lives in a dystopian society so mm. so much for uh, Twenty One Pilots being irregular as pop band <laughs> they mm -hmm. do give a lot of shit about the stuff and uh, like they drop little hints everywhere and I think with that album the Scaled and Icy one they weren't sure if they should do like a COVID, we do whatever the fuck we want album, or if we should keep going with the overarching storyline album. Mm. So there are hints in there and people got mad about figuring out what the, what the uh, album title means and everything. By the way, Scaled and Icy is an anagram for Casey is dead. So there's ah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um. Yeah, but yeah, there's like so much like filler stuff on there, which is just I I don't think not up to snuff with the stuff they usually put out. But mm. I I mean, of course, if they like they they they're living. I think one the drummer lives on the west coast of the states, and and Tyler lives at the east coast, so they send each other the files. And of course, that's not the same like working together in a studio. Um, mm. I don't know. So well good effort but i think most of the stuff on the album was pretty well yeah mediocre now hang on because i can see in the script what else you've been listening to now and i have not even thought about this band who have crow's feathers in their hair for a good 
decade, at least. <laughs> or surprising you. Um, okay, so <laughs> we're talking about the Rasmus. Yes. Which is... The crow hair guy. The crow hair guy. And guess what? It's the band that brought me into rock music. Wow. Yeah. With, of course, In the Shadows. cool thing about the Rasmus, and this will take <laughs> a couple of minutes, is that before In the Shadows, they were already an established band for 15 years. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, and if you go back in their in time to their old stuff, like the first albums, which are called, hang on, I have them memorized, Peep, Playboys, and Hell of a Testa, and Into. Dude, they started like as a literal student band and they did fucking everything from reggae to ska to crossover to hip-hop stuff and basically in the shadows when that whole thing landed this was kind of like a reimagining of the band itself they used to be called just rasmus and the the into album this is the one where you could see oh this is where it's going like they started to get a bit more poppy and the production value rose immediately through the roof and in the shadow was uh, was like kind of in the shadows with the dead letters album i should say was the end of that development and when they of course found oh this is our niche right now and we can make a lot of money with that shit so yeah for anybody who's interested in 90s crossover music check out the first rasmus albums or the rasmus albums dude there's so wow. much cool stuff in there there's such a cool variety of just genres and stuff and it's produced raw and dirty and just creatively awesome hmm. but everybody always thinks about bird feathers right <laughs> yeah that's all i think about is the raven feathers in the guy's hair that, yeah. <laughs> that's all i think about it was ridiculous um at the time but they were also the first band i ever saw live so wow yeah um, um, I, I didn't know that that the Rasmus had inspired anyone to like start music, but I'm glad they have. Like, it's <laughs> just I've never heard someone cite them before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah. Um, so over the last few albums, well, I, I after the In the Shadows Dead Letter stuff, there was one album which was called Hide from the Sun, which basically had the same style as Dead Letters because don't fix a broken system right mm -hmm. and then they started to get more even more poppy like the whole rock thing went into the background and more synth stuff came around and i think i just at that point in time i was more to metal so i didn't give a shit really mm -hmm. and they vary it from time to time like they're still pretty synthy and synth poppy dark synth pop i, I think was it new mm -hmm. wave so, yeah, their last single, Bones, dropped, and I just put it in there because, yeah, it's not because I love it so much, because I think it's pretty average, but I've been listening <laughs> to it, so, and quite quite often, just to get a feel for it, but I, it, don't, as it, it doesn't seem to go anywhere with me, mm -hmm. but yeah, just want to 
Yeah, wanted to pay my respects. things the past few weeks still as i mentioned briefly earlier on the manchester orchestra album which i've now sort of changed my viewpoint on a little bit and other things i've been listening to this week aside from that uh the new single from sharon van etten and angel orson which is called like i used to Sharon Van Etten is someone I absolutely like adore, American singer-songwriter, and uh, she's been famous for quite a while now. I think she's five albums down. The first few were very acoustic folk rock kind of thing, nothing too differentiating from this kind of alternative singer-songwriter movement of the past sort of couple of decades. Um, but they were still very good. It was borderline country, I would say. Her last album, or her latest album, I should say, um, was in 2019 that was the album remind me tomorrow and that's now introduced some electronic um elements into it based on a friendship i believe by the way that she had with the actor michael sarah now i don't know if that's true that story but <coughs> apparently michael sarah also talking of uh, different personalities has a split sort of like uh, artistic personality and he works in electronic music huh I- I, I, we're going to have to research it. Mike Sarah, like Scott Pilgrim himself. Apparently so. Uh, this is terrible podcast, terrible podcast material. But um, I'm going to quickly go on to a famous search engine. And find out now. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean Yahoo? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so this Dude, was a few years it. back. But yeah, 2014, he released a surprise lo-fi bedroom pop album. 2017, he did a collaborative electronic dance music album. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, does electronic music. There we go. Didn't know that, did you? So um, wow. there's that. But anyway, so she introduced these electronic... should have saved that for fact or fiction. I know. She, she introduced these electronic elements into her last album. And I think it made it better. And... Remind Me Tomorrow was my favorite album of 2019. It was, it's it's fantastic. I just really love it. It balances this Bruce Springsteen kind of sound with a little bit of Joy Division. And um, it, it's it's just got a cool singer-songwritery vibe to it. Anyway, she's released a new single with another singer-songwriter I like but haven't kept up to date with as much called Angel Olsen, who, who writes music that sounds very much like The Cure, I guess, is probably the easiest way to put it. And they've done a very 80s inspired, big hair kind of inspired power ballad pop song. And it's just really good. Like, it's kind of cheesy. And I think they're doing that on purpose to, you know, sort of have this sort of 80s nostalgic feeling to it. The video even has that, like, they're singing to each other face to face, but they're clearly not in the same room and all this stuff. Like, it's it's kind of cheesy and silly. 
But um, the song isn't itself, but the way it's sort of done in the video is. Um, and I like it. It's, it reminds me of an 80s Springsteen track or an 80s track from the band Heart or something like that. Like, got a nice classic sort of power ballad pop vibe to it, which I like. So I've been listening to that. And then another thing I've been listening to is the latest single from Friends of the Show um, and absolute just wonderful people, Heavy Heavy, and they released a single called Lights On. Now, I think you've also listened to this, right, recently? Yep, I did. I commented commented under the video. <laughs> and um, it's a bit different this time and because of the lack of bass. Like, there isn't a bass in it. And I didn't notice this until Chance told me about it. And he messaged me, incidentally, not long before this episode. And so I asked him to record some of his thoughts on it and uh, tell us a little bit about how he got to making the single with the band, and this is what he had to say about that. Hello, BPM podcast listeners. This is Chance from Heavy Heavy, here to talk about our most recent single, Lights On. Uh, The biggest change that we went through for this song instrumentally uh, was I ditched the bass guitar, but I ran a baritone guitar through the same split signal uh, setup that you hear on the rest of our tracks. Uh, We also wanted to go for more of a modern sound. Um, You can kind of tell that in our music video, uh, so check that out on YouTube. Um, So the lyrics kind of came about, this kind of shows how old the song is, but the lyrics kind of came about during the George Floyd protests. Um, I really wanted to capture the spirit of what I was feeling and the people that I was talking to were feeling about what was going on at that time, which I guess is kind of against the intention of moving aside and letting the voices of the oppressed take stage. But I kind of have to follow where my artistic instincts are taking me most of the time, and I, I hope the uh, the message rings out with someone else. But yeah, enjoy the track. Thanks to Ash and Chris at BPM Podcast for uh, letting me rant about this song. Uh, if you want to find us on the internet uh we're most active on instagram um so take a look there cheers guys anyway so heavy heavy lights on they've ditched the bass guitar for this one uh chance is playing a baritone guitar that still run through the same split signal setup 
that they have, as he explained in his clip there. Um, and that gives it this slightly thinner, higher sound. Like, kind of, um, it's not quite as grunty and as raw and as rough as what you're used to. It's a bit more modern pop-ish. It's still rock, like, without a doubt. But it takes more sort of inspiration from modern Queens of the Stone Age kind of stuff. It's a bit more clean. Um, the only thing perhaps I didn't really like about the song, and and it's not because I didn't like it per se, it's just a, a personal preference, is that I find the vocals are kind of softer than I'm used to. Chance has this very gruff kind of voice. Um, not necessarily deep, actually. It's actually not got a particularly deep voice for a sort of male singer in this genre, but it is a bit gruff and a bit raw and a bit rough, and in this mix of it, it's really not coming through. He actually sounds like he's kind of in a bathroom being recorded. Um, I found it a bit thin. But other than that, I did really like it, and I like that the drums from Linus are brought much more forward in the mix this time. You can hear some really, really cool fills and like bits here and there, which I really, really loved. And it's nice to hear the bass toned back a bit and instead focusing on the baritone guitar. It's a bit different. Adds something a bit, as I say, higher, more trebly to it. Um, but I do miss the gruffness of his, his vocals. They did sound just a little bit poppy, I guess. And that's not really my preference overall. But I still really like the song. And the sort of complete breakdown from four and a half minutes to the end at five and a half minutes is fantastic. And um, really, really like it. It's got this usual heavy, heavy build up to some cool ending. So um, that's what I've been listening to this week. I like that they kept their promise of uh, now that they bought camera gear that they will keep producing videos. Remember when we spoke about that with him? Yeah. Where he was like, we should have we should have done that earlier <laughs> in our careers and now they're doing it. So yeah, good for them. Still to come a bit later on, we're going to be talking to Natasha Jeffy, the uh, classical trained cellist about her musical work. And we're going to be looking at the dishonored soundtrack that Chris has brought into the new section where we talk about gaming soundtracks and we'll do desert island playlist but while we're talking of new music that's been released and things we've been listening to let's jump into a couple of songs from the bpm pod playlist and we're going to be starting with this one from promise and a previous guest on the show jose promise lovely guy and this song is called drinking alone Surrounded by friends Life was a party That would know no end But now that I'm older And I'm on my own I'm finding myself Drinking alone When hopes were high And life was sweet A pick-me-up Got me on my two feet But now things have taken on a different tone and I'm finding myself drinking alone drinking alone drinking alone drinking alone but until then time will quickly pass by 
So, Promise, Drinking Alone. This isn't a new song from Promise, which my computer has autocorrected to Promise, um, and has done about 50 times, and I gave up fighting it in the end. It's a very good introduction to him, though. It came out a few years back, I think three or four years ago, and he was on the podcast. It's got to be getting on for a couple of years ago now. Um, and if you've not listened to Promise before, it has a very cabaret piano bar kind of style um, so the arrangements are normally pretty sparse um, not much, too much going on in them um, but it's really about sort of showcasing this kind of uh, sing-along waltzy kind of sound and his quite often dark humored vocals I mean for example the song he performed when he was on the podcast was will I get a chance to play my songs before I'm dead was what the song was called um, which was a song about how much he hates the music industry. So he's always got this kind of hopeless optimism, this little bit of sarcasm behind everything, which I really like. Um, so this is why I picked this one out, to reintroduce people to Promise, who is definitely worth listening to. It's um, For me, the mix is a bit bland. I don't know what was really up with it, but I can see in the notes that you've commented on it as well, so I won't go into too much detail on it, but it was a little bit bland for me. Um, but I do like it. It reminded me of something that you would introduce a character to in, like a stage show or something. Like cut to a scene and like, you know, someone's being introduced or something. This kind of loner who's drinking and stuff. It, it's got this kind of show tune feel to it. And I really, really liked that. So, um, yeah, pleasant track. I always like a song when I... Like when it gives me a certain picture in my head, when it produces a certain picture in my head, right? And when the song mm. started, that's of what you just said. You can immediately, immediately see like the guy singing, uh, sitting alone at the bar, uh, having had way too much drinks, <laughs> way too many yeah. drinks. So that's that's always cool. And um, when the it's a, it's a mandolin, right? The like the lead instrument is that a mandolin? The main instrument is a mandolin. Yeah. Okay, because I wasn't sure. It might be a was it a lute or maybe a mandolin. I, <sighs> I don't I'm pretty know. sure it's a mandolin, to be honest. But but either way, it's one of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, just the fact that you can hear a mandolin. When I think of mandolin, I always think of uh, Katsunyama, like the band I spoke about mm. like multiple times. The the, uh, the four uh, girls were playing, I think, fifty instruments, and they're using all these various acoustic instruments and folky instruments or ethnic instruments, whatever you want to call them. So so yeah, hearing hearing a mandolin in a in a bluesy kind of cinematic uh, bar track was 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 a cool like cool first impression. Mm. Uh, that being said, I didn't like that it was so unbalanced compared to the piano. So something was wrong with the mix, right? For sure. Yeah, because the right it, channel was so much louder than my than the left one, and my right ear doesn't work as good as my left one. So if it still like if I notice that. Uh, yeah, so quick. Yeah, it, it just it was. I think uh, it was over compressed. Like the the mandolin had a lot of compression and sounded very snappy, whereas the piano was mellow and soft and played with with pedal. There's a pedal that softens the piano, right? Mm, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was just a weird combination to to my ears, mm. which didn't take away from the songwriting, of course, which was funny and sad. And I've yeah. been there. <laughs> and, and he kind of balances that really well. All of his songs do this. Um, yeah. And it's got this kind of ironic kind of twist to yeah. things, which I do like. He reminds me most of a guy called Father John Misty, 
who um is uh who also writes songs like this that are kind of hopeful but also kind of hopeless at the same time and i like that i could have well for me because these mm. i don't want to I, i don't want to summarize them as, as funny songs or funny set uh, songs i like them to be shorter because mm. i think the the point gets across very quick mm. Mm. and repeating over and over and over again that he's drinking alone just it, it doesn't make it for me it doesn't make it more impactful right mm, so mm. when comparing it to a like a stage piece for introducing a character you wouldn't introduce him four minutes five minutes right no no because the basic premise was he's drinking alone because he's fed up with basic with, with everything right yeah no that's and true I, i thought maybe two minutes two and a half minutes would have sufficed Yeah, so perhaps a little long. I I can go with you on that one actually. I think that yeah. that's probably probably accurate. But otherwise, I I really liked it. It's kind of a nice little ditty. As yeah, they yeah, say. yeah, yeah. That's a that's a song for like if you're in a certain mood, right? Yeah. Especially when you're drinking alone at home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Now he the didn't use auto tune. No, no, no. So that's true. Before we jump in, yeah, he doesn't use auto tune at all. I yeah. don't think in anything. He does a few electronic remixes where you can hear. Like there has been some like manipulation of his voice and stuff, but it's also an electronic song, right? Like fine, but um, but no, it doesn't use auto tune at all. Which um, brave choice, because even yeah. in some of the stuff I've released, I've had someone touch up, you know, just this, uh, just a little bit here and there. Sometimes, if I'm like a tiny, tiny bit off pitch or whatever, but but um, he doesn't use any at all. So brave choice and yeah. uh, good choice. And I hate my ears for finding that weird. That shows how much I I've been influenced uh, by our, the, the industry. Yeah, I know, man. But, uh, and I hate myself when I, the few times I have properly produced some music, full band-wise, and they've even just used it, you know, just on one word or something. It's slightly off. It's not off, mm -hmm. but it is. it sounds better when it's on. Um, and I've still hated myself for using it. Like, <laughs> oh, it's just... And you wouldn't even notice, but I know it's been done, and I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. But there we go. <laughs> Now, the next track is another new song from another couple of friends of the show, Molly's Peck. And the song is called Never Told You. Now, you haven't heard this yet, right? Or you heard a little bit, but then actually yeah. you were like, stop. Yeah, <laughs> because it was just so good. And I was like, no, I cannot. <laughs> so instead, we're going to get you to live react to it. Instead. Yeah. Cool. Three, two, one, play. Okay. Guitar. Oh man. Oh, that sounds almost straight into the desk plate. Sometimes it's hard to change the string noises that they kept in. Dude. Said wah wah on the on the keyboards. Oh man, the background Dude, 
dude, like the vocal arrangement is so good. It is. And her voice is just, I don't use that term often, but her voice is just, well, sexy. Right, okay, now we'll talk about that in a minute. So, let's go through a bit more, because I'm going to play a lot of it. Um, and let's keep going through, at, at least to the guitar solo. Okay. I'm out in about. Oh, I like the stops. Yeah, I was just going to say the stop. I like a good stop in a song, though. That's yeah. a bit of a... And it's so dynamic, right? You immediately can feel that the chorus starts because it opens up. Yeah, and it opens up on such a nice, like, wait, like expansive way, actually. Like, everything yeah. gets louder, which I like. Here comes solo, then. In a minute. Kept the second chorus longer than the first one. It's also cool, always. Yeah, because it almost becomes like a separate chorus in itself. Yeah, yeah. Which is, the backing vocals are fucking great. Yeah. Here we go. That's the notes a that you don't play, note. right? That is. That is a sustained note. Yeah. Jesus. You can hear the compressor working. That's offbeat somewhere. Yeah, and I like that they kept it on one channel. It's not in the middle, it's still like a live band. I respect that. Okay. Yeah. I remember. And now the rest of the song plays and fades itself out. But okay, um, and cool. over and over. But the the what I really like of it well I'm gonna get like your proper first impressions actually first let's do that first your proper first impressions before I dig into the stuff I like okay so yeah just like I said earlier their sound quality is just insulting <laughs> because it's, it's just so good it's just so cool um yeah like I think because songwriting wise it's a pre-regular song structure, right? It's A, B, A, B, C, uh, B, B, I think. So yeah, yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus, of, solo. Yeah, typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus slightly extended, solo, chorus to fade. Like, yeah. you know, it's so pretty standard and the chords are what, three or four? So it's yeah. not complicated. So no nothing new there, but still the, like how they're making it work and how they change up the verses with stops and that's what makes it so good, right? It, 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 because basically, of course, yeah, music can be complicated, and but that doesn't make it better automatically. No. And I think a lot of guys from the jazz and proc uh, scene and kind of uh, <laughs> mix that up sometimes. Mm. Like the more complicated, the better it is, but I don't think so. Not always. So yeah, um, yeah, the, I always have to go back to the sound quality. It's, it's, it just sounds like there's not, I don't think, uh, a lot of doubling in there. Well, her no. I think she sings the background vocals, right? Yeah, so there's an overdub of her vocals as it fades out because um, she's singing backing. So I think the backing vocals are actually done by their backing vocalist, but there's a oh, bit right. at the, towards the end where it's layered of with her sort of singing the chorus, but she's also vocalizing over it. So obviously that's dubbed yeah, because yeah. um, that's just not possible. Um, but the the thing i really 
reminds me of, they did one a little while back called You Should Know, which is very similar, very sort of similar themes of lyrics and chord structure and song structure. Again, three sort of chords, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, instrumental, chorus out. Like, it's kind of similar structure. It reminds me of that. But this is much bigger sounding than that. Like, here it's, it's so big, actually, that at one point it almost becomes a bit too much for me at the end. Um, to when she's sort of overlaying her vocals again and, and there's backing and there's an organ and there's a bass and there's a guitar and there's a drums. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot going on now. Um, but luckily it ends just at the right point before it mm. gets a little bit overbearing. Because some songs really overstay their welcome with their endings. They sort of pile all this stuff to this big crescendo at the end and it just keeps going and going and going and I just get bored. Whereas this just kind of stops. And I'm like, yeah. oh, good. Because actually it was just as I was thinking... This should end now, and then it did. So I was okay, cool. Um, what I really love, there are two things I love. Guy's guitar sound is always so good. Like it, the tone of his guitar is insanely good. And I don't know what he does or what effects he's using. I think he's probably only using very basic sort of effects. Yeah, I think that's more kind of a. It's from his fingers, right? Yeah, I think it's just the way he plays. Because yeah, effects-wise, yeah, yeah. I just think it's gain and probably boosted with with some sort of like blues driver or something like that it's, yeah, it's not yeah, yeah. much there um but the way he plays isn't like unique but it's it's certainly different what Guy really does well in this one is he like you said when you reacted to it sometimes it's the notes you don't play right like yeah, yeah, yeah. just hold in a bend for like five seconds then it's sort of quiet and off and then flick to something else. Like that was so cool. I'm like, you could have filled that with a hundred notes if you wanted. Yeah. What I also love about Guy's playing, I don't know how he does this, because um, he does tend to go crazy on the guitar and play like a hundred notes, um, which is fine. But what I really like on this one is it's off rhythm. The solo is completely off rhythm at one point. Like it's sort of like fighting with the rhythm a little bit, and I really enjoy that. Like. And that takes a certain level of skill as well to do something like that, like to do this syncopated kind of play. Um, and I really like that, actually. Do you think that solo was completely improvised? I would guess so. Yeah. Sounded to me like that. And Which I, I respect. Guess it was, I would guess it was done, and I know this from talking to them uh, previously, Guy normally uses the first take. And that's not him being arrogant. He just feels that the first take is normally the one that's best. Um, oh, right. So he probably did it a few times, and that would have been the first one or two. I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, cool. And I've talked to them about that before, that they generally, you know, will do 10 takes or whatever of a song, but the one they keep is normally the first one or two. Oh, right. Um, that's such a different work ethic from mine. I know there has been one track I did for another band where where they wanted to keep the improvised solo, but I hate my improvised solos because I immediately go into certain phrases. I know that they work. And even when I try to play around them, I c come kind of back to them. So I'm, I, I completely compose my solos from first to the last note. So I think Guy does as well rely on some things. He always does a high bend towards the end. They always sort of go... Yeah, but every guitar player does. Come but on. <laughs> everyone, I was just going to say, everyone does that. So it doesn't really matter. 
But um, what I really love, though, is the guitar here sounds like it's about to break my headphones. And I yeah, love yeah. that kind of sound where it's really on the verge of this amp shouldn't probably be cranked up that much. Like, I like that. <laughs> it sounds best when it's almost burning. But it does. It does sound best when it's almost burning. Like, it always does because it sounds like it should be breaking about now. And it's not. And I like that. He's playing but, a Fender amp, right? He's playing a Fender. And I think, what's he got these days? The Twin Reverb, maybe, I think. But... um. Because my first, that's what I said in, in the reaction. My first impression was, oh, is he playing right into the mixing board, into the desk? Because it sounded so like gritty. But I, that's what Fenders sound like, right? If you if yeah. you crank them and and give them a little push with a I don't know EP booster or a tube screamer, because mm. they're not that Marshall typical lead sound, mm. like, not at mm. all. Mm. What I what you did pick up on though instantly, and what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about quickly before we go into um, the next segment is Julia's vocals, because I wanted to write when I was writing the script what you said, but I felt weird because she's a friend, so right. I didn't say it. But you can say it, so that's good. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I, like I, like I, well, I said. Because I, I I don't like using that word, and I don't even know if I <laughs> at this time day and age if I'm allowed to use it. You're gonna but be me too. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're gonna be me oh, too uh, now. Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, but I think it's uh, <laughs> it, it just sounds like sexy how she sings. Um, it's I yeah, full stop. It's got it's, a she's singing differently this time though for sure. There's something definitely different about her voice. Yeah. I don't know if it's a vocal change on her end, like, you know, something biological kind of thing or whatever, like some change, or if it's just mixed differently or something or recorded differently, but it definitely sounds different. Um, but it's very slurry this time and blended. Normally she's very yeah. clear. And yeah. but no, I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all, by the way. Like, I actually like it. It's got this kind of like slurred, laid back, almost arrogant, but I like it. Like, I think that's fucking cool. Like, yeah, like you say, this kind of sexy, like I don't give a shit kind of. Yeah, thing. and it's and not I like because that. I think most people uh, use that term when they like when they hear women using vocal fry a lot, like this uh, mm -hmm. kind of talking. Uh. Yeah, okay. But but I think it's the complete opposite with her because uh, what what I liked so much about was the especially the uh, w when it came together with the with the background vocals, how they like crescendoed a bit in and then they pulled back. I, I don't. Mm. I don't know the word. Well, uh, and I like that or something like that. Did she say that? Uh, that they sang that? Mm. They always had that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it pulled back and like it drifted a bit. Uh, it it went flat. So yeah. it had had like this pulling someone towards you and then pushing them back again. And I, I like that. Yeah, and and it it just I don't know. Like Julia is a lovely lovely woman, by the way. Um, and really really wonderful. They're both lovely people. Um. And anyone who doesn't know about, a bit about Molly's Peck, Julia is tiny. <laughs> like She's really not very big at all. She's tiny. Um, and she has such a big voice. And I'm always like, I don't actually know how that comes out of that. Like, I really have no clue. Um, and because there's not really very much of her. Um, but normally it's very polished. And this time, yeah, it is just slightly slurry and blurry. But I mean that in a good way. Like you said, it's kind of got this dreamy feel. Like it kind of comes mm. in and then back again. And like, and it's kind of like she doesn't give a shit. And I really like that. It's like she's properly let herself like like 
go at it in this. And so I really like her vocals in this. I think it's a fucking good track. I probably yeah, would have yeah, ended yeah. it slightly differently myself. I'm not a fan of jazzy rundown endings. It's just not my thing um, <laughs> in any sense where they kind of go dun, 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 at the end. It's just not not for me. That's not my thing. But I hate that in any song that does that, to be honest. Um, I like an abrupt end. We've talked about this before, right? Kind of Stop. Like, I like that. I like an abrupt ending. Um, but that's about the only thing. And if you're going to criticize four seconds of a song and that's going to devalue the whole song, you're a dick. So, um, <laughs> so you know, there we go. But uh, no, what a fucking cool song, right? Yeah, man. Now it's time to jump into the interview with the guest we have this week, uh, Natasha Jeffy, a classically trained cellist who's duetting with singer-songwriters and collaborating with them and stuff and teaching music and playing in classical ensembles and stuff like that. She's really playing a lot of stuff and getting quite a lot of fantastic noises out of that cello. We recorded this a little while back, so some things don't quite tally up now with when you're listening to this, which will be sort of end of, end of June, early July, um, when this is released. So do forgive us on that part, but we're working guys. We work hard. We're working men. We sound like a Bruce Springsteen song now. <laughs> work down the factory. Working man. Chris got to go back his... to the construction site. <laughs> Chris breaks his foot. Because <laughs> he's working so hard. Oh. Wiping sweat from his brow. Um, oh, yeah. From a cold dead hands. <laughs> yeah, see, anyway. So we're busy. And uh, it's what we're trying to say. And um, so, so some of it's a little bit dated. But um, we still had a really lovely time talking to her. And it's so nice to talk to someone who has such a wealth of actual musical theory knowledge. Oh, um, yeah. Who absolutely puts us to shame. Because we have quite a lot of knowledge of it, I think, both of us, um, of musical theory. But she was like another level. So it, it's really cool to hear someone actually bring us down to the ground a little bit on, <laughs> on how much we don't know. Um, so here's what happened when we spoke to Natasha. So I'm Natasha Jaffe and I'm a cellist. I grew up in the United States um, and did my studies there, uh, but my parents are, are not from the U.S. Uh, my mom's from Quebec and my father's from Brazil. And they met in the U.S. and then we grew up there.2012, which was directly after my master's program, and since then I met a whole bunch of senior songwriters. I thought I was going to do orchestra things, and then I realized that I was terrible at auditions. I'd get nervous and play badly, <laughs> actually badly, and um, and then uh, but the singer songwriters were really welcoming and opening, open to me, and they were just kind of like, oh, you know, I'd play one cello note, and like, wow, it's so amazing, and just that it was a really gratifying feeling to suddenly be really, really important to them somehow that that uh, just the music that I would make was was nice for for other people. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, and so since then, I really de delved into the world of, of improvisation, uh, playing with singer-songwriters, uh, non-classical music of all different kinds. I like to try different things out. Um, and, and that sort of brought me to the point of creating the music that I'm creating right now, um, which is sort of a mix between my classical background and my general love for the for the cello as an instrument and just as a sound. And um, and this kind of more indie folk style of, of songwriting or music writing. album Cello and Bloom was um, kind of a collection of, of all those songs that I liked that I'd written between 2012 and I guess 2018 or so because then I, I recorded them within 2019 it took a long while and uh, and then released it in 2020. What first drew you to the cello though? Well the, the draw to the cello I guess is much older. I started playing when I was seven um, and that was probably because uh, both of my parents are cellists. I just grew up listening to the sound of the cello and they actually thought maybe it would be better if I didn't play the cello but apparently I asked from the time I was six until my birthday when I was seven when I got a cello uh, to, to play the cello and so they finally broke down and, and we're like okay fine we'll, we'll teach you how to play. Um, I think they were really hoping that I'd do something non-musical non where I could actually make money but they, they also <laughs> understood eventually that you know there's this artistic pull and they, they couldn't deny that they had it too. Um, so, but it was the sound of, of also multiple cellos playing together. Every year in, in South Florida, there was a festival called Celebration, where for one day, all these cellos would get together and then they'd rehearse some music in the morning and get together in the afternoon for like an orchestra of 100 cellos playing a concert. Um, and, and that for me was like super cool. <laughs> I mean, especially like when I was listening to Cello in Bloom, I checked it out, your latest release. There's, I think in the very first track at the beginning, it's just this very low, almost ambient drone. But you can, it almost sounds like breathing, like which is really bizarre. It's got this kind of very human quality to, yeah. a, to a cello quite. I, I, I don't, I've not really considered that before. But are there any sort of, what are your biggest inspirations or... Um, artists that sort of drew you into this direction then of mixing a bit of electronic and a bit of loopers and things with the cello there's something you wouldn't normally do so was there any sort of inspiration that led you that way to get all of these unique sounds out of it well i guess one of the one of the biggest inspirations although she came sort of 
in the middle of this this journey was uh, Zoe Keating. She's a cellist who does pretty much exactly that looping and layering of, of cello sounds. Um, and I, I sort of I had already started playing around with um, <coughs> effect pedals and, and what kind of cello do and that sort of thing. And at some point I discovered Zoe Keating and listened to what she was doing and was like, oh, wow, no, this is this is kind of a direction that I want to go. Um, she she tends to do a lot more looping, and I'm doing a little bit more through composed music. Uh, so that's kind of one one difference still um, that I've still held on to this this idea that I don't want things to be just loops. Um, although she she messes around with her loops a lot, you can hardly tell that they're loops uh, most of the time. And so so that was a that was definitely a big ex inspiration. And um, other than that, I guess they were. I'm not, not going to remember these names properly. That's the problem. I didn't, didn't look up the names. Uh, but what is it? Olafur Arnolds, if I'm saying that right. Olafur Arnolds, the yeah. Ice, it's Icelandic, isn't he? I think. Yeah, I, I don't even I think know. he is. Listen to the music and, and never did my research. Uh, it's but, a very, um, yeah, ambient mixed with kind of electronic, very Niels Fram kind of. Similar. Yeah, I found this from like also much later Max Richter also mm. in the in the middle of this. I mean these kinds of sounds that were mixing a little bit of this electronic ambient with an actually purely ac acoustic sound, just like the instrument, the way it is. Well, when I think about like the transition from a from the natural sound of the instrument to a more effect heavy sound, I think of Apocalyptica, and I'm pretty yeah. sure you. <laughs> have came across uh, you came across them because when they started out they were basically a metallica cover band their first album is literally metallica played on four cellos i think for yeah. celli and later on in their career they like changed their sound so much the, the celli basically sound like guitars and electric basses and i think that's when they kind of like lost their uniqueness like yeah. they're still cool songwriters and i Love Apocalyptica. I've, I don't know how many times I've seen them live, probably six to seven times. And they wow. have a cool show, right? Because when these four long haired dude, dudes are there on stage and like headbanging while being shirtless, that's just cool, right? But cool, yeah. the original sound, like the, just the Chelly playing metal riffs, that's gone now. And I think that's not sad, but uh, <laughs> they could yeah, add it more again. In. It was really special. I remember my, my dad actually bought that album um, and he was super excited about it. And so he, he put it on in, in the car and he was just like, listen to this, listen to this. They're just they're just four cellos. And if you bring it, if you bring it up, you know, he'd like turn the volume way up and we're just like, ah, it's a bit loud, dad. And he's like, yeah, but now it almost sounds like guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, okay, okay, it's cool. But um, but it was a really special sound that that first album is a really It's something that that uh, that you're right. Eventually, they stopped really doing. They added once they added the drums, they sort of right. cleaned the sound a bit, and it became a little bit more electronic sounding, and then more and more in a sense. Uh, and I don't know how they do it in the live the live concerts. Um, they do have like yay big pedal boards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everything is everything is affected. Yeah, no, but there are a few songs um, in between that I that I like. There are a couple of their more. Um, instrumental, quieter songs that they've done here and there that that are definitely stuff that I've uh, had inspiration from. Like that, farewell is is one of mm. the 
<laughs> one of the songs that I really love um, yeah. from from Apocalyptica. And so there's there's a couple of those that, that I really like. So how how many times uh, were you approached by metal dudes uh, wanting you to play this kind of stuff in their bands? Surprisingly, not much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It it never happened to me. I don't know if it happens to other cellists, but I wonder if if the if the metal scene is just kind of like okay, you can have a cello band and you can have a metal band. And I don't know if you have cello in metal bands. I but I don't know much about the metal scene at all. So when you when you say that you're playing most of the time with with singer songwriter guys and pop uh, guys, um, because you have to know as a classical trained kind of classical trained musician, you have to know a lot about like articulations and stuff. Singer songwriters, do they know about it when you're talking about pizzicato, spiccato, or are, are they just looking at you no. with what the hell is she talking? This is going to be fun to hear. <laughs> I have an opinion be... on this too. But go on. No, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, the vast majority of the singer-songwriters I know I work with have uh, zero experience with strings or very little experience with strings. And so it does get, it. I mean, it can be almost comical on my end uh, to hear them trying to explain what it is that they want. But that was one of the things that I ended up loving to do because I end up trying to translate, like, I want it to sound like, like, I don't know, like raindrops hitting a tin roof or something. And that's, that's, that's even quite specific um, for some of the descriptions I've gotten. Um, and, and then I'm like, okay, well, how do, I, how do I make that with my cello? Like, how do I get this? What, what are they talking about? Do they actually want me to, to pluck my cello? Should it be a pizzicato part? Is it just short staccato notes? And so I, I have a lot of funny memories of, of different situations where someone's <laughs> trying to explain something to me and I'm just trying out different things. You mean this? No, do you mean that? No, do you mean this? No, do you mean that? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's that's always been been kind of a fun thing. But I enjoy the process because um, 
in a sense, I feel like I'm contributing to their general music education and dealing with other instruments. A lot of singer songwriters will start in a very enclosed, you know, I learned the guitar in my bedroom and then I wrote my songs and then I went out to an open mic and, and tested myself against the world kind of thing. But that actually means that they've had very little contact with other musicians, um, mm. which is like the opposite of what a classical musician, classically trained musician gets from like the Definitely. time that they're tiny. Uh, we constantly, I'm a cello player. I basically in classical musician music do not exist as a solo instrument. Uh, they're, they're, you know, the Bach suites. Um, and a couple of other notable, notable solo pieces, but actually we live to play in groups, which means that we're constantly communicating with other musicians. There's an intricate amount of, of just communication that happens both verbal and nonverbal. And, uh, and it's really exciting sometimes to, to meet singer songwriters and kind of have them go through this process of discovery, like, wow, this is what it's like to like play with a different musician. And there are some, some, a lot of positive moments where it's just like, wow, I, you know, I always kind of imagined this and now it's real and it's fantastic. And even some, some negative moments where they're just kind of like trying to get me to understand something that's clear for them. And, <laughs> and I'm just not getting it for whatever reason, because communication is difficult sometimes. Uh, we have to manage to get words to describe music, which is weird. <laughs> I, I can almost imagine like two drunk off their asses singer-songwriters like you going should I play this spiccato or pizzicato and they're like dude I thought she was going to speak English <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the to to educating um, people with your training, are ten ten singer songwriters and pop and rock guys ten uh, like ten they too to enjoy learning new stuff or is that like is that more like a one sided experience for you? Yeah, I've had very good experiences. Um, they tend to be really excited to learn new stuff. Um, okay, and especially learning new vocabulary, new ways to speak to uh, string musicians. Most most of the musicians I've worked with. Or maybe I've been fortunate, but they've all been quite excited to have those new words and these new ideas in their in their vocabulary to be able to use them also with other string players. Because most oh. of what I do in the cello, you could fairly easily translate also to a violin or a viola or even double bass in, in many cases um, because the instruments function very, very similarly. Mm. But, but when I think especially about like guitar players, right? We always shit on yeah. guitar players, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley and I because we are guitar players like <laughs> they're like they're old-fashioned most of the time i don't i don't think they often like to to incorporate like really new and out there stuff so that must be a cool experience for them to actually to notice them 
learning and incorporating your vocabulary and, and your skills and knowledge into their music. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, by and large, it's really been a very positive experience. I've rarely had um, situations that were, were actually negative. And um, I mean, I do often get just sort of things where I'm a little bit more experimental with harmonic language and they don't want to be so experimental. So that often happens like do less, um, which is fine. And in many ways, it also taught me to to do that less is more um, in a lot of cases. Um, with some musicians, maybe I would have disagreed. I, th I think that maybe it should have had a little bit more interest or that a specific kind of harmonic tension might have brought something new to the piece. Um, but in a lot of cases, I, after the project was finished and everything was said and done, I was like, yeah, well, actually, it's, it's good. It's good to have just a simple line sometimes. Uh, and it really needs to serve the music, whatever it is, and, and not just serve the, the ego of the musician, so to speak, just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. What are you doing in terms of live performances and stuff? You have some listed, right? But I guess it depends a lot on uh, what yeah. goes on in the yeah, coming months. Of... <laughs> But do you, do you plan to get back out there on the road? I do. I do plan on it. Um, it's been a weird time where uh, even if you try to try to write to venues or whatever, they're kind of like, look, I don't know. We, we don't know. We can't plan anything or they don't answer at all because they're kind of overwhelmed with their own problems uh, that they're having. And so I think, I mean, now I'm, I'll probably start trying again now that things are starting to look up, um, then venues might be a little bit more open to talking to us um, musicians about about actually planning concerts. Um, what I have on there, that's that's actually something I forgot to mention, is that I've, I've also recently joined the Composers Orchestra Berlin, which is um, a mixed orchestra of, they have some strings and some winds and percussion and, and even guitars and stuff that are all in the in the mix. It's not a traditional orchestra in that sense at all. A lot of the musicians uh, there seem to be also classically, uh, not just classically trained, but maybe jazz musicians and uh, that sort of thing. Um, And so there are a couple of concerts that should happen with them. As long as they're allowed, those concerts will happen. And uh, I do have a, a date set at the Prinzessinengarten in Neukölln uh, for, what was it? To the end of August, I believe. But I'm probably saying it wrong. Obviously, you've got Cello in Bloom. That's uh, your latest release. And I guess um, when we do eventually get out and play, and you're going to probably play a lot from that as well along with some other previous stuff but um what are you working on now and where can people find out more um so what i'm working on now is is a, is is what i hope will become a second album i already have a couple of songs that should go on there um cello and bloom was kind of a celebration of of the cellos it was sort of this reawakening thing the reason why i chose the spring theme was to, you know, it was a new beginning for me Uh, as presenting myself as a solo artist. And so the next album actually is going to, is a reflection of a lot of thoughts that I had during this pandemic. Um, my family, as I said, is in, is, is in North America. My mom is in Canada. My father is still in Florida. And, uh, and I haven't been to see them, which, was, which is unusual. Uh, I usually would manage to go to the U.S. about once a year. And, uh, and that, that would be my, my visit, my pilgrimage to go visit my family and some of my friends. And, 
and I haven't managed to do that because of the pandemic and it just didn't make sense. Um, and I missed that. And so the next album, the songs that I've been writing have had a lot to do with these thoughts on, on heritage, on where I come from, what does it mean to be home? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so a couple of couple of those songs are almost finished. Uh, I've done a, a few private house concerts, and and uh, one of them has been performed secretly, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I'll be I'll be recording a couple of other songs in that vein, basically just exploring what it means to have a home, um, what it means to have moved to a new home, uh, and to reestablish yourself somewhere, and how much does your growing up home mean to you anymore or not or whatever so it's all those thoughts uh oh yeah and then where you can find more about me is um on my website is the best place i have a mailing list uh, that you can sign up for from from my website it's just natashajaffe.com pretty simple and uh, i'll be i'm sending out a, a new newsletter about once a month and i've been releasing some blog posts. Um, I'll have a couple of video interviews from uh, other cellist composers coming out soon. Um, and the new music as it as it gets ready, as I start recording it, uh, I'll be sending updates on that as well. May I? <laughs> now, I now I know how we're going to end. <laughs> because we didn't talk gear yet, and I'm the gearhead uh, <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, I've watched... Uh, was it a live stream or was it a pre-recorded concert? Hang on, I've got YouTube open. Ma the Mastel session? Mas sessions. Yeah, yeah, right. Pretty cool, really awesome. And I saw you had a you had a laptop there with a backing track, I think, and a huge ass pedal board and a multiple <laughs> mic setup. Was it? I think a condenser mic and a, was it a piezo or a, like a pickup? Um, yeah. So what I. What I have, what I had there, uh, is is sort of what I've developed to be my my solo setup right now. Um, the music is is in its purest form to be performed by four or five cellists. But getting four and five cellists available for a gig, plus having the money to to pay them all properly, which I think is really important, um, is is not always possible. And so to play in sort of smaller venues or where I feel like I I want to be the only person who takes the you know do this for exposure and a, and, a, and a meal kind of thing. If, if that's going to be my risk that I take, I'm not dragging anyone else into it except my, uh, my laptop. So, um, so that's, that's essentially the prototype of, of my, my live setup, which is Ableton with a bunch of samples. I do have them split up. So it's played back, but with some pauses and breaks. So I essentially launch different sections of the song, which allows me to be at least a little bit more flexible within the, transitions that's with the floorboard um, right yeah so then it's with a foot pedal the foot pedal is uh, that was a nectar pacer just a midi midi right. foot pedal um i'm i'm considering switching to a soft step two which is what zoe keating uses because it allows me to, to also change faders and stuff and bring music louder softer change effects and that sort of thing um, there and then the cello is is picked up by by a, uh, a toman. So that was that was just the toman T bone, uh, which has been surprisingly fabulous. Um, I could of course invest in a, a DPA would be sort of the thing that you'd want to get is is the little DPA clip on microphone. Uh, they're very nice. They're, there's definitely a richer sound that they create. But for live performances, I found that the uh, the toman, the little toman T bone, for a cello sounds just fine 
Uh, I, I know at that performance they had a they had a microphone set up also in front of me, so the, the recorded sound that you hear is mixed probably a lot with the the room sound. With the yeah, well, yeah, exactly with the room sound. So that's not exactly what it sounds like, but um, but it is. It's been funny because I've had so many situations where I get on stage and I'm like, what do you have? Oh, is that a DPA? And I'm like, no, that's, that's a Toman T-bone. And then the sound engineer's face starts yeah. already. <laughs> and then they get back behind the mixing board and they start doing their thing. And then they're just like, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> See, now, now we went full circle back to educating people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So usually I would ask our guests well, what their favorite piece of gear is, like the one thing or two things they can't live without. I'm guessing for you it's the actual cello itself, right? But do you yeah. have like multiple celli? Or how, because guitar players have at least 526 guitars in their life. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the professional is 528. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I do have I do have two cellos, but uh, the second one is a is a real outdoor rock band gig cello, and that's um, that one I, I don't really use except for those specific situations uh, because the sound quality is not so good. But I did I did I am perfectly happy with it because um, if you put a pickup on a cello, like like we've mentioned before, the sound quality just sort of disappears. You kind of get this carbon. Uh, like paper box sort of thing sound and then if you add some effects and some some preamps and whatever then it can sound fine but it never sounds <laughs> like an actual acoustic cello right um so for those situations where i'm going to be using a pickup anyway uh, i use the other cello because then i don't have to worry about anybody hitting it or knocking it or whatever it's totally replaceable it's made out of like plywood and cost me like 200 euros so it's uh, it's no no big deal in a sense, uh, because my hardwood cello is is more expensive, but mostly it's it is irreplaceable. It's a piece of of art essentially. It was made by hand. Uh, these particular pieces of wood, you will never have them again. It will never, and the sound of it is is a unique sound. And so, in a sense, uh, whether or not the insurance would cover the price of it if something were to happen, um, it it would be irre irreplaceable. And so, the the nice cello I use for situations where I know I'm going to be miked. Um, so that I know that that sound is the thing that's that's coming out. But yeah, just the just the two for now, and then a couple of bows. I have a baroque bow, and a carbon fiber bow, and and then my my regular wood bow. But yeah, thank you very much, Natasha. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much to our guest, Natasha Jeffy. Really interesting conversation. And uh, thank you for taking the time to come onto the podcast. If you do want to check out more of Natasha's stuff, she promoted it there at the end, but go to natashajeffy.com and you can find out more there. Now, we're going to jump into the main feature of the week that I know you're itching to talk about. And it's going to be a mainly crisp bit, this, because... Um, you proposed this a little while ago that we talk about computer game soundtracks. Now, my limited knowledge on computer game soundtracks is to things like Grand Theft Auto, which isn't really a soundtrack. It's more a collection of cool songs, whereas you actually really are into different soundtracks. And you've mentioned a few previously, Silent Hill and Ori. You were mentioned the, the other week. Oh, we right. talked about Zelda off air, loads of stuff. So this is mainly going to be led by you. But 
you'll be glad to know before we jump into this with a cool jingle. It is fucking cool. Um, that there's someone else out there who wants to talk about this, Chris. Because we got a letter. Did we? This week. We did. I didn't even um, know we had a, like an actual physical post box. A mailbox. We got a letter from a guy called Ben. A guy called Ben Verkstad. Oh, he sounds Italian. He, he does, right? <laughs> he sounds Italian-German. But, you know, there we go. And he says, thank you, Ben, for your letter. He says, dear Weinhardt and Wendel. By the way, great name for us both. We should start just calling ourselves that. Yeah, w alliterations w. are awesome. Exactly. Alliterations are awesome. He says, I love the show and all the things you talk about. Thanks, Ben. I also love computer games and think music compu and computer games have an interesting relationship. Yes, so do we. That's why we introduced this. That's yeah. a, it's a clever point. Well done. My dad, on the other hand, thinks video games suck balls. That's not very nice. And, and quote, this is direct quote. God, are only played by loners who masturbate to pornography all day. And I would like to add at that point, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I take dad that is, personally. Exactly. I, I'm personally offended by your dad, Ben. My dad, my dad is a bellend, is what he says next. <laughs> wow. Not that sounds like here. a strained relationship. <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound particularly healthy here. He knows nothing of the beauty of gaming nor the musical mastery that goes into soundtrack creation. creation. Wow, that's a lovely way to put it. Yeah, yeah. He also says his dad can suck a bag of bacon bazookas. Wow. That's, that's a wonderful insult. Um, <laughs> this has really gone on too long, this letter. Perhaps you could feature computer game soundtracks you like, and he'll begin to understand. He loves the show too. Well, that's great he loves the show, but I'm not sure I like him very much. By the way, I'm only nine years old. Oh, dear. Oh. It's a colourful repertoire of words that Ben already has with nine years. I wonder if we've taught it to him. <laughs> yeah, That's probably. what I'm slightly worried about here. By the way, I'm only nine years old. Thanks, Ben. Um, well, Ben, thank you for your letter. First mm. off, get that relationship with your father repaired and um, <laughs> maybe wash your mouth out a little, a little bit. Like, tone it down just a, just a bit. Just a tad, yeah. Well, ben it is school. hilarious. You're nine. Um, but no, I think that's a good point. There is a very interesting relationship between soundtracks and games. Um, there always has been, but perhaps not with so much focus as now. And so this week, I'm going to hand it over to Chris, who's going to talk about, after this wonderful jingle he's created, mm -mm. Uh, the soundtrack from the game Dishonored. <laughs> So, Chris, set us up. Dishonored. Give us a bit of an overview about the game first. Because it's a series of games, right? There is one and a sequel and, and things. So give us a little bit of background about the game itself. Well, Dishonored is a game that was released by, I think, Bethesda, who are also known for the Fallout series. And I think was kind of a... Not an answer to, but they wanted to get in on the Assassin's Creed hype. Because you basically play a character who can murder <laughs> or uh, eliminate certain well targets mm -hmm. the whole story about it and the name of the game gives it a, a bit away is about who man 
about a man who has been dishonored and needs to restore said honor by, well, yeah, following certain tasks. I don't want to spoil the game, but it's um like that's the that's the overarching story, right? But it has a lot mm -hmm. of like thematic value in terms of family and like well, yeah, just love to put mm. it bland love and family and relationships and honor of course uh, the setting is interesting because it's like a, a big mishmash of, 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 of things because I think it's pl it plays in an alternate version of our world but which has been slightly altered it's a like a mixture of steampunk elements Victorian London elements uh, there's a lot of nautical elements in there so pretty interesting from the start and that is being mirrored by the soundtrack which takes inspiration from sound design as well as a variety of acoustic instruments such as the dulcimer is that how you pronounce that it's an appellation um uh instrument i think um a threaded it so people who don't know what a dulcimer is it's like a threaded stringed instrument that looks a little bit like a zitar i guess kind of that yeah, i think yeah. you play it i think you play it sitting down there like, are, yeah, across yeah. your legs yeah and there are variations of the instrument i think they're the one that's been featured uh heavily in the dishonor soundtracks is the hammered dulcimer mm, mm. and if you want to just check out the instrument itself you should definitely google um i think there was a tears for fears cover with a dulcimer which was pretty cool was everybody wants to rule the world that's a great song so yeah I'll check that one out later but so yeah um when we spoke about featuring uh, video game soundtracks in our podcast uh, this one was i think a pretty like easy start to the whole segment because you can talk about a lot this uh, you can talk a lot about the sound design elements and the the acoustic elements in there uh, as well as about daniel i don't know is it licht is it licked it must be licht right yeah sure. yeah who sadly passed away a couple of years ago uh, at the age of 60 because of some I think was it a tumor or something uh, which is pretty sad uh, he had been working for I think 30 years uh, mostly in the in the uh, movie mm. industry but uh, his first and that's where I knew him from originally his first video game that he worked on was a Silent Hill game Mm. which is hill. something we'll talk about again in another episode on soundtracks surely silent hill but yeah, yeah but yeah. he replaced the guy that you did a session with right akira, akira Yama, Yama yamaoko yeah yeah right and he did the uh, soundtrack for silent hill downpour where the protagonist murphy pendleton uh, was the inspiration for my cat's name murphy <laughs> mm just to put that in there so yeah uh he did uh silent hill he did dishonored and then sadly passed away a couple of years ago
So when people think about the soundtrack for Dishonored or Dishonored 2, they mostly think about, I think, the trailer music, which is a variation on the good old shanty, uh, the drunken sailor. Uh, and in this case, it's the drunken whaler, because the game relies heavily on whales as part of the, its lore. Um, the inhabitants of this world use whales and their oil to generate electricity and energy. So whalers being uh, whaler is basically a, a job, like a fisherman mm -hmm. kind of job. And when the trailer starts, like a creepy kid's voice starts to chant, what shall we do with the drunken whaler instead of the drunken mm -hmm. sailor? Mm -hmm. And then it gets increasingly heavier, but not heavy in the sense of adding guitars and blast beats, but just tuned down acoustic instruments and sound design. It just sounds so heavy and grunty and slimy. Mm. And the text gets more morbid by the minute. So the first solution to what shall we do with the drunken whaler is to feed him to the hungry rats for dinner. And mm. I think a later verse is uh, slices throat with a rusty razor or something like that. Mm. So it's, it's almost a bit cheesy hmm, hmm. but like like a, like a bit edgy emo cheesy but hmm. uh but but i like it because because like it would be worse if it featured like a, a music box in the background but because it uses these the dulcimer and like detuned guitars and basses it just has this naughty ah, feeling to it hmm, hmm. And the other song that most people think about would be the credit song for the first game, which is Honor to All. Did you listen to that one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that one is, it came out of that time period where games featured some kind of vocal-driven song at the end during your credits. I remember the Sad Silent Hill game having a corn song at the end playing. Mm. Um Usually I don't like that because it just takes me so out of the experience, right? I agree. The, the, the drunken whaler thing was cool because I I I can see this song being performed or being written during that time period in this but when world. You, yeah, but when you put like a more modern known song as like an ending credit song, it really yeah. annoys me. Actually, it does in films as well, and so it really takes me out, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So, but Honor for All is actually pretty cool, and I think. Uh, helped the 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 game uh, the game's notoriety. A lot of a lot of search uh, hits for this one, and they reused the main theme of this song for the second game to make mm. a, a light motif for the main character, one of the two main mm. characters. Mm. Yeah, but as you said, the main soundtrack itself is like an actual orchestrated soundtrack that could perfectly fit into a movie as well, mm. and. The, the cool thing about it is that it's, it's, it just uses so many layers that we aren't used to hearing in soundtracks. Mm. It used to be beeps and boops, and then it became MIDI, and then it became string orchestras. Mm. But to hear dulcimers and mandolins and like just a bit of synthesizer sound design in there gives it such a strange and otherworldly feel. And they do dabble a lot with with the occult and with with kind of godlike figures in this universe so it fits it fits it, it has a certain direction uh that it pushes <laughs> pushes uh, heavily towards but uh definitely you you it's unique in itself With a drunken 
So I listened to it, and I've still not played Dishonored, even though I have uh, got it on my sort of library of things to play, because um, I'm quite far behind now. But I had listened to the soundtrack after you sent it over, and what I really loved about it is it's very violin-heavy, though, still. Even though it's got mandolins and stuff like this, and it's still very violin-heavy. Um, and it, it's just kind of... It gave me a sense, even without playing the game, of some sort of constant tension mm. i guess is the best way to put it um because it doesn't it doesn't sound so soundtracky that it's got these like sort of drum beats and big like drum beats here and there and stuff it's not like that um it doesn't sound like it's necessarily scored to specific action points if that makes sense it's actually got a lot of ambient kind of dark ambient kind of inflections i guess is a good way to put it and i like the Knowing what little I do about the game, and I did research it a little bit and stuff, I like that given the setting, like you said, it's kind of a reimagined modern-day setting that's also based on London and Edinburgh, apparently, in the 1800s. So it's a really weird world they kind of created here, but I like that. And the music does fit the time period. Like, it does this kind of historical but also present time period. It really does feel like it would work there. Like, this would be what it is. Like, I really think there's... um. Yeah, yeah. the main thing I got from it, as I said, is just this very lush, like, world, I guess, like, from listening to it. Like, it's it's almost like a character in itself. Yeah, and the, like, the, I think it's just, it's just, like, it has kind of this brooding feeling because the game, because the game has tension and action, but it's not like it's uh, 24 hours of explosions and gunfights and I don't know, because you can choose to play the game stealthy and in this in this world they, there's a kind of a plague happening so you have this kind of where the the the, the um, aristocrats of this world are still partying and doing their thing and the people on the streets are slowly dying uh, and it gives it this like the solemn feeling overall when you're when you're walking through that city and i think the, the soundtrack reflects that there is tension and and risers in there and it gets loud but it also has this underlying cadence of just uh, some, something's not all right in here. It feels sickly, and I think because of the violins and stuff, they used to like they they scratch the violins and they maybe give it a slight tap or something. It's not the, what we usually expect from violins to sound nice and perfectly bowed, but it's just like a bit gnarly. And when you see, I think there is a for the second game, which the soundtrack to the second one is pretty similar to the first one and there's an behind the scenes video and you can see the instruments they're using they're like not perfectly fresh out of the box instruments but they they have been used and they have been well played and 
No, it's a cool one, and I'm glad yeah. you brought this up because when we first talked about this, I was talking about lots of different soundtracks. The Dishonored never crossed my mind, but I'm really, really glad this is one you brought up. Um, and there's a lot of stuff to dig into with it, and the game itself has a lot of sort of lore and mythology around it. So there's a lot of stuff to dig into there. Oh, but hell yeah. No, good find. Good find and a good suggestion, I think, for this one. Thank you. And we would love uh, if our if you our listeners would send us your what's the word suggestions for 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 other soundtracks we totally. should check out. Other, that would yeah. be even cooler. Otherwise, we're just going to rely on stuff we like already. Yeah, but there's a ton of stuff out there that we've probably even never heard of or never really paid much attention to. So, totally, if you've got your suggestions, definitely send them in. <laughs> Should we end on our Desert Island Discs? Or playlist, or whatever it is we're calling it. So, Chris, you're stuck You're stuck on a desert island. Uh, again? Yeah, again. I told you <laughs> to stop building boats out of trash. I told you this. And going sailing on them. Like I should buy a boat. You know that cat meme, right? I do not. The cat that reads the newspaper and it's like, I should buy a boat. Oh, is that... You don't I, know no. that? No, I don't like that. Man, come on. What's wrong the, with you? I have the mind of a 60-something-year-old. I barely know <laughs> what the internet is. Like, you know, the fact that we're even talking to each other virtually now is insane. Um, but on, let me send you. I should buy a boat. Please do. But I'm, I'm <laughs> going to still not get it. And it's not going to be as funny now you've explained it to me. And all of this bit will stay in so that the listeners can collectively laugh at me and go, wait, what? He doesn't know that? But, all right, here's a live reveal of a meme. They're the best podcast material ever. Um, from 20 you, years ago. From 20 years ago. Uh, I've literally never seen that before in my life. No? Cat in a suit. <laughs> it does look like that is what he's saying, though. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> See, it's funny. It is funny, but I've never seen that before in my life. Um, and I'm glad that I've exposed my ignorance now. Um, I like that you can see almost like his realization that he's wasted his life up to this yeah. point and put like the way he puts the newspaper down to, oh man <laughs> yeah. so we're going to buy a boat as well but we're stuck on a desert island now because the boat fucked cool. up um, and uh, no one else is on the island uh, except that Ben guy who kept sending us messages in bottles that's a bit weird but whatever um, nine he's years crafty. old hmm. nine years old I think we'll dig into that another time seems odd to me but anyway um, you're stuck on the desert island, but you somehow have a Spotify playlist. And <laughs> why you wouldn't use the internet to actually alert people to the fact you're on a desert island, I don't know. But well, you have to wait until they arrive, right? Ah, and then the boat journey to you know land will be like 40 hours, so you're going to need something. So, but okay. I must have built a pretty awesome boat if it's a 40-hour journey. Yeah, so you're you're in the middle of the South Pacific somewhere. You've gone really far. From uh, landlocked, well, not landlocked, but very far away from the sea, Berlin. Um, <laughs> so you've really gone far. You've gone all the way around the Baltic, around Denmark, down the Atlantic, across the like Horn of Africa, 
and somehow into the South Pacific. Oh, no, sorry, you, you probably went the other way across, like, South America. But either way, you've gone a long way. Um, Spotify doesn't work by this point. We've moved on to something else because it took you so long to get there. But what Tyler. would be on your Spotify playlist? What have you got for the Desert Island playlist? For this week, I have Glass by Daughter, which stems from another game, of course. Right. Uh, this time, it's from Life is Strange Before the Storm, uh, for which Daughter, I think, wrote a large portion of the soundtrack. Okay. Ah, the Life is Strange games are also pretty cool when it comes to soundtrack uh, because they feature very different soundtracks in each part of the series. The first one was very indie pop folky and the second one, because it has more of a punk theme to it, features more of this kind of stuff. My daughter do usually make more mellow, uh, post-rocky mm -hmm. stuff, I think. But yeah, and Glass is one of the main themes they wrote for it does feature vocals, but the vocals are basically like, ah, uh, ooh, uh, so just uh, now, uh, not nouns, what's it, letters. Did you walk on your foot? Is that what you actually just did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but they have this cool, like they know how to do that cool post-rocky sound with distorting delays from guitars and making them stereo. And it just has a very dreamy feel to it. And I, and I like it. It, it has a cool build-up and everything and sounds very emotional, if that's the right word. I like it. My Morning Jacket, I Will Sing You Songs is my submission to it this week. I'm a huge My Morning Jacket fan. Talked about them so many times. This is my favorite song of theirs and would definitely go on the list. One of their earlier ones, a bit more jam rock based. It's a ballad, but um, and it's only got one verse that they just repeat twice, and then the rest is guitar licks playing out and Jim James going ah all the way to the end, and that's it. Um, but it's again got this lovely atmospheric, dreamy feel to it, and will likely be the song I'd have played at my funeral. So, um, which will oh, be right. on the desert island. So there we go. Um, or should we do that uh, as well? A funeral my funeral playlist. playlist? My, yeah, maybe we should at some point but it's pretty grim um, like a like a one-off uh thing for for a for an episode where we each pick five songs or for three. our funerals yeah let's do that let's do that we can do that and if you do have suggestions for funeral songs not for my funeral for fuck's sake i don't want people now to suggest hateful <laughs> oh, Jesus, songs I'm sorry for me <laughs> Like, thank God he's dead. Yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. Napalm devs, uh, fuck you, please die. <laughs> What's the one? <laughs> See, don't suggest stuff like that. It's not big and clever, but it is funny. Um, but no, funeral songs will do another day. But Desert Island playlist. Uh, yeah, My Morning Jacket, I Will Sing You Songs. Lovely, lovely song. Very peaceful one. Make you smile. So that's that. <laughs> uh, big thanks this week to our guest, Natasha Jeffy, as always. You can check out all of the music that we featured in the description of the episode, there's always links there. You can always find the BPM pod playlist on Spotify. It's just called, I think it's called Unsung Heroes. You'll find it. Or BPM pod. You can type that in and you'll find it as well. And you can find BPM pod on Instagram, Facebook, and wherever it is you get good podcasts. So Acast, Podbean, iTunes, or it's not called iTunes anymore, Apple Music, Amazon, Google, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, Otherwise, Chris, thank you very much as always. Please don't do anything else to hurt yourself. 
I'll do my very best. Like, just just stop. Just don't go outside. Like, ever. Yeah, like, a buddy of mine uh, was uh, also like, dude, we just put should put you in a cage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just stay indoors. Like, you don't and now to I have to. <laughs> yeah, now you do. On the next episode, we're going to be talking a lot about games and other things, and there's going to be no guest on the next one. We're going to have a bit more of a catch up uh, with some music we've been listening to music we like music that's coming out and we'll talk about the soundtrack choices it's my choice this time so i'm going to talk about the soundtrack choices to grand test auto vice city and yeah. vice city stories i think was the spin-off as well both of them have fantastic musical choices tommy gonna, v yo that are going to take you right back to the 80s and i can't wait for that so um, hell yeah i've been listening to that already cool. um Otherwise, thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody, and uh, speak to you on the next episode. Bonus material. What does Alec think of Molly's Peck and their superb new song, Never Told You? What's your review of that song? Dead. A dead? Blah, blah. A blah, blah. Is that good or bad? Yes, yes. Yeah? Oh, well, you're dancing while you're saying it, so I'm guessing that's good. <laughs>